Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine this morning. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's Audio Bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Ad Musa, Amanda Machaka and Figile Limwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, as America goes to the polls later today, opinion remains divided on who is the best candidate for the African continent. Tanzania's two main opposition parties are demanding fresh elections after denouncing last week's presidential vote as fraudulent. And in economics news, South, Africa's expected, South Africans expected to heave a sigh of relief as the fuel price is expected to drop from tonight. In sports news, World Athletics shortlist 10 nominees for the men's coveted award, which include exceptionally talented Ugandans. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. Polls will begin opening at 6 a.m. local time in the United States for what will be a historic election day, capping off weeks of early voting that has seen close on 100 million people cast ballots already. Enthusiasm coupled with safety concerns amidst a pandemic has seen a record number of voters make use of mail-in or absentees voting with a final surge expected to top the 138 million people who voted in the last election for years ago. And as Sharon Bryce Peace reports, nominees and their surrogates have focused the final hours of their campaigns in the critical swing states battlegrounds that will tip the skulls in either Donald Trump or Joe Biden's direction. President Trump made it a frenzied race to the finish with five stops in four key battleground states Monday that are critical for his re-election including Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin. States he won in 2016 but which are trending towards Biden if the polls are accurate. Biden appears to have the wind at his back with a number of late polls showing him with an edge also in Florida and Ohio. The former so critical to the incumbent that were the Democrat to win there, it all but shuts the door on a Trump second term. Tanzania's main opposition presidential candidate Tendulisu has been released shortly after his arrest in the main city of Dar es Salaam. Police arrested him outside Umoja House, a building where foreign embassies, including those of Germany and the Netherlands, are located. Lisu has rejected his defeat in last week's election, saying the vote was rigged in favor of President John Makafuli. A number of members of his opposition Chidema party, including the chairperson Freeman Mboe, remain in police custody. Police have accused accused them of planning violent protests, including blowing up petrol stations and markets that called for peaceful protests to demand a fresh election. Tanzania's main opposition presidential candidate Tindulusu, rather France, says its forces 
have killed over 50 militants in central Mali during an operation. The French Defense Minister Florence Pali says the Al-Qaeda-affiliated militants had been killed on Friday on the border of Burkina Faso and Niger. Je voudrais, uh I would like to reveal to you an operation of great importance which was carried out on the 30th of October in Mali and which made it possible to neutralize more than 50 the equivalent of a battalion by also confiscating weapons and equipment. The Nigerian military is carrying out an internal investigation into the shooting of unarmed protesters in Lagos by soldiers. The shooting at a protest against police brutality caused an international outcry after it was broadcast live on social media. The Nigerian Minister of Defense mentioned the investigation at a media conference in the capital Abuja. He declined to give details but said the outcome would be made public as soon as possible. On the 20th of last month, a number of unarmed protesters were shot in the Lagos suburb of Key multiple eyewitnesses have said the shooting was carried out by soldiers. And finally, South Africa's first woman deputy president and the current UN Undersecretary General and Executive Director of UN Women, Dr. Pumzlem Lambunguka, is to be awarded an honorary degree from Rhodes University on Friday in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province. Mlambunguka will be awarded Doctors of Laws for her many years of exceptional contribution to society and to humankind all over the globe. This is the first time in over 100 years of its existence that the university will be hosting an exclusive inaugural graduation ceremony for masters and doctoral graduates of the 125 certificates to be awarded 55% are women graduates that's the news headlines at 7:30 central african time sabc news independent and impartial from an african perspective Thank you, Anne. It is 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Who is Africa rooting for in the U.S. presidential election? Well, opinion poll is divided on who is the best for the continent. U.S.-Africa relation experts, however, say a Joe Biden administration would be good for Africa's bid to integrate and trade as one. Sarah Kimani reports. Africa has not featured in any of the presidential or vice presidential debates in the U.S. in the run-up to the elections. That's not to say, however, that the continent is not following events in the country. Top on the minds of many policymakers is how incumbent President Donald Trump has chosen to relate with the continent a departure from his predecessors. Dr. Hassan Hanenje is an international relations expert based in Kenya. He's less interested in dealing with uh, multilateral organizations as opposed to dealing with individual uh, countries, for instance, because he thinks he can be able to uh, generate a lot more profit for the United States taxpayer or public uh, as opposed to dealing with multilateral organizations or regional organizations which make it difficult, especially when it comes to negotiations. Four African countries suffered a blow with the announcement of a controversial travel ban policy also affected the reproductive health services where the Trump administration has cut funding. But generally it has been a policy that has had a negative impact on uh, students seeking education, on refugees who may not really have a home 
and who are in the process of going relocating to the United States, you know, as well as exchange programs that enrich African economies, African cultures, and the African education system at large. The Trump administration has ever been hailed for its support to Africa's anti-terrorism efforts. Trump has ever remained mum as a narration of democracy crept back into the continent with a number of African leaders unconstitutionally extending their terms in office. We have seen heightened activities when it comes to counter-terrorism, uh, especially investment in hard power and others, but uh, very little focus in trying to grow African economies, uh, improve infrastructure, or even try to improve the level of governance and democracy in the continent, and it has suffered greatly under his leadership. Dr. Hanenja, who until three years ago taught in a university in the U.S., follows keenly the events in the U.S. He is calling it for Biden. Now, in other parts or other spaces, we expect that uh, if uh, in the case of Biden presidency, there's going to be a more, more focus on multilateral approach mm -hmm. and perhaps more willingness to deal with uh, the, the continental bodies in solving conflicts regionally and continentally, but also in ensuring that uh, human rights and democracy are upheld in most parts of the continent because we know increasingly those two aspects are on decline in the last few years. Across the capital Nairobi, opinion is divided on which U.S. president is best for Africa, but even here it is clear there is a great interest in the goings-on in the Big Brother house. Uh, Donald Trump, of course. Okay, because we've seen what he's done, and uh, you know he's one guy who stands for the rights of Americans. When you look at me, I'm a South Sudanese. In fact, his administration is very reluctant on the global peace uh, contention. Uh, with that reason, he, he has even failed the world, not America. I like his policies and, and his humility. Uh, he's not arrogant like, uh, like Trump. Biden. Straight, yes. Why? Uh, Biden resonates well with the many Americans and even outside America. Like, for example, in Africa, you remember Biden worked with Obama, and many people associate with the Obama. And the African during Obama time benefited a lot. Eh? I think Joe Biden would be a much better person. Yeah, because he looks at least he's not uh, as insincere as Trump. Mm, we wish him the best. Mm. From the conflict of a river now to getting fabric from factories in Lesotho to the U.S., it is a high-stake elections for Africa, whichever way it goes. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. Tanzania's two main opposition parties are demanding fresh elections after denouncing last week's presidential vote as fraudulent. The Chadema and ACT Wazalendo parties in a joint news conference also call for mass protests from today. This comes after incumbent President John Magufuli was declared winner of the election with 84% of the vote. Chadema party alleges ballot boxes were tempered with after its agents were allegedly stopped from entering polling stations. A reporter in Tanzania, Gabriel Zakaria, has more.
The opposition have the tangible uh, to show that the election was marked by irregularities. And the, one of the examples is some of the ballots that have been uh, cast before even uh, the day of election. And a number of uh, votes, a number of ballots have been uh, just uh, taken by the opposition party. And even during the time when they had a press conference uh, on weekend with the uh, members of press, they showed them uh, a number of uh, ballot papers that were casted before uh, the election day. So that is uh, one of the examples. But the second one is uh, their, their official, their representative, uh, the representative from the parties from opposition, I mean uh, agents were not allowed in uh, earlier to enter to the election uh, rooms, election, election stations. They were denied to enter in uh, on time. So some of them were denied totally not to enter inside uh, the room. And the, some of them were allowed to enter, but later on. So actually, the opposition is uh, is claiming that uh, the victory of uh, President Magufuli is uh, not acceptable, and that is why now uh, they organized the a demo, a non-stop demonstration uh, that uh, begin today, uh, Monday. Sure today, 2nd uh, November, to send the message to the Electoral uh, Commission uh, sure. of Tanzania that uh, the election was not free and fair, and they uh, claim for a new election to be done. How was uh, the opposition's call for a countrywide uh, demonstrations been received, uh, Gabriel, by Tanzanians? Are you getting a sense that uh, there will be a large turnout uh, this afternoon when uh, the opposition supporters gather? Well, uh, it is not... Uh, uh, really expected a large number is not expected to come out uh, to respond to the uh, 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 demos uh, that has been called by the opposition leaders. Uh, this is uh, because uh, historically Tanzanians uh, they've been very scared. They've been very scared just to get out and make the demonstration. Uh, though the opposition uh, are saying this is a peaceful, a peaceful uh, demo uh, that they want to send the message to Electoral Commission of Tanzania. The head of uh, the National Electoral Commission, Semist Kols Kaijage, said that the allegations of fake ballot papers were unsubstantiated. Is there any hope that uh, the citizen action, as the opposition parties uh, are calling these demonstrations, is there any hope? that um, these demonstrations can change uh, voting results? We don't really expect anything uh, to change. Uh, the results that have been announced by the uh, National Electoral Commission, we don't expect it totally. And as I'm speaking now, uh, three leaders from the opposition party have been arrested this morning when on the way going to organize uh, uh, the demonstration of uh, the Tanzanians to head to go to electoral commission uh, offices to claim for their, their, their victory because they're saying that the election, their victory was stolen uh, by the Magufuli and now what they want to do is they want to claim uh, they are winning, I mean, their victory back. So we don't exactly uh, expect a number of uh, Tanzanians uh, to go out for this demo. Maybe in Zanzibar uh, because in Zanzibar, by experience, it has shown that uh, Zanzibarians, uh, they are always uh, uh, very vigilant uh, and once they decide, they decide they also uh, they are they respect their leaders from the opposition and in my view that uh, as we are speaking now the a new president of Zanzibar is sworn in a new president of Zanzibar 
uh, Hussein Ali Mwinyi uh, from the ruling party is swearing in uh, this morning as we are speaking now. Uh, so the demonstration in Zanzibar so far, I didn't we didn't just get an, an, an update if the demonstration took part in Zanzibar uh, because there is no means of getting now information what is going on in the street there because no inter, no internet, no uh, social services. I mean, uh, social media was uh, just burned out. So. There is no way uh, to rely to get uh, this information rather than uh, the public uh, television and uh, some of the private TV stations, uh, which uh, they, they cannot exactly show or, or show exactly what is on the ground, what is happening, uh, fearing that uh, they might be banned as well, uh, as it has been happening to many media houses in Tanzania. When you try to critique the government, when you try to talk anything negative to the government, then uh, either you can be missing or you, your house of media can be banned. Have any charges uh, been uh, presented to the three opposition leaders who have been arrested? So far, there is no uh, charges that have been presented because uh, the Chadema party, this is the main uh, opposition party in the mainland. But in Zanzibar, as, uh, as you may be aware, that uh, a number of leaders from the opposition party in Zanzibar, ACT, Wazalendo, have been arrested, uh, brutal injured, and uh, some of them are, have been taken into custody. So it's just like that. And the, the day before yesterday, also more than uh, people, more than eight, more than five people have been buried uh, who were killed during uh, the day of uh, during the day of election in Zanzibar because there was some um, uh, chaos, there was a chaotic in, in Zanzibar, especially in Pemba, in Pemba Ireland. That's Gabriel Zakaria, our reporter in Tanzania, speaking to Kumbele Mujalele. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulitranjoe for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel African in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective.
It's 7.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. South Africa's Council for Scientific and Industrial Research estimates that 10 million tons of food goes to waste every year. Realising that food waste was the last recyclable, Karen Heron, co-founder of Earth Probiotic, a food waste management company, began her journey by providing a household solution for recycling food waste into soil food using bokashi beans. To further discuss her journey with us, Karen joins us on the line. Karen, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu, and good morning to your listeners. Now, you're celebrating 10 years in turning your environmental passion into a lucrative business. Talk us through your journey and how you got this far. Well, I think um, we, as you say, we are 10 years years young now. And in the beginning, it was quite the journey. We always felt that we were a bit early into the market. Food waste is not something that most people think about. And um, I think we've hung in there through blood, sweat, and quite a bit of tears. And um, it's just about it's just about holding on, persevering, and just believing in what you what you what you, what you do. And we're very passionate about our business and what our impact is. Now, in terms of your business, and uh, um, I understand that you manufacture locally. What are the benefits of of manufacturing locally? Well, I think the first benefits are we have a lot of talent here in South Africa, and it seems to be silly to be looking um, across the sea for us. At the same time, we don't have to worry about land fluctuations. And, of course, it means that we can very quickly um, resolve a problem if you know, you know, on, on something that we're manufacturing because it is here around the corner from us. So we have a price benefit. We have, uh, you know, very technical people here in South Africa, and of course, we can we can manage costs much better. You know, in business, uh, some people are very lucky, and I think you're one of those people who've also seen, um, you know, initial support from big brands in South Africa. Talk to us about that and how it helped your business grow. So we were very lucky in the beginning. We were incubated by Sassel, who helped build two machines that were vital for manufacturing um, Albukashi. And without their support and their assistance and mentoring, it would have been a lot more difficult. And what we have seen, certainly over the last five years, is people are aware of environmental issues and they do want to support local companies. So that has been very positive and very helpful to us. And it is about, I think we're very used to looking um, elsewhere for technology um, and skills, whereas we've forgotten that we, we have all of this here in South Africa. So that's been a very big benefit by companies supporting us. 
And, you know, a lot of companies have, uh, um, you know, gone through the, the, the COVID pandemic and, uh, um, you know, some businesses have gone through losses and some have shut their doors. Um, what impact has the COVID-19 pandemic um, brought to your business? And, uh, uh, you know, how did you make it through? You know, waste, definitely food waste is, is, is a consistent, um, you know, but in terms of your survival as a company. You're absolutely right. It it has had a, um, an impact on us, both positive and negative, in that initially with the lockdown, with many companies closing, and, and the first thing that did close were their kitchens. So we took a really big loss on, on the commercial side of our business, which was most unfortunate. But on the, on the retail side, as a lot of people were working from home, and, of course, creating more waste. And as you know, one has to eat every day, and with that comes food waste. Um, I think people had the time as well as the inclination to do something about it. And maybe it was something that, that you'd thought about, but you just, you know, it, you, you put it aside and you didn't, you didn't have the time to, to do anything about it, but suddenly you did. So on our retail side, we gained quite a lot of new customers, and um, this has maintained throughout this, this six-month period. So on the commercial side, it was a big strain, but on the retail side, it was positive. It has been positive, and that has maintained. And now as companies are coming back and kitchens are opening in the commercial space, that is now starting to come back. So it was it, it, a little bit bittersweet, but at the same time, I feel that this is just the, the new norm for, for us here, um, you know, not only in South Africa, but I think we've been very, very lucky and we're very grateful for that. Some advice for small businesses that are still, um, you know, operational and in existence with regards to uh, doing business in the South African environment and, um, you know, during the COVID pandemic, because uh, we are still in the pandemic. You're absolutely right. And I think my advice would be to, to cut cut those costs. Um, these are one has to live through lean times, increase your sales, it's all about customer customer support. Um, you know, I, I think one of the saving graces is that we didn't have to deal with the Rand dollar fluctuation. So we were we were buying in Rands and I think that is important. So if you are an importer of anything, look look local to see how you can manage that here. And I think it is perseverance. We will get through this. And um, it is just about tenacity, perseverance, hanging in there and being positive. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. And you too. That's uh, Karen Heron, uh, co-founder of a food waste management company in South Africa, Earth Probiotic, speaking to us on the line. It is 7.26 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Zorza. Africa Amuka Na Unai.
South Africa's Eastern Cape government has sent its proposal to the national government about how it will conduct the summer initiation season. Last month, the Deputy Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Obed Mapela, confirmed that the traditional rites of passage will continue this December under strict conditions. The Eastern Cape put together its strategy after a multidisciplinary meeting comprising of the Provincial Cocta Department, SAPS, NPA, and the Health Department. This year, 20 illegal initiation schools have been shut down in the Buffalo City Metro alone. One initiate who proceeded with the process illegally has died in the O.R. Tambo district. Our reporter, Abungile Yankees, filed this. The winter initiation season was cancelled with the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic. The infection rate then dropped leading to the go-ahead for the summer initiation season. But a second wave of infections is moving, though. The province triggering caution. Cocta MEC Olile Ngata says they are hoping for an incident-free initiation season. We're working with local initiation committees to monitor uh, the situation in each area. In each area has got local initiation committees, already the Department of Health, has done training of trainers, people that we are locating in all districts who have been trained, uh, you know, to go and train others. And uh, we have established uh, what we call rapid response teams uh, per districts, uh, which is a multidisciplinary team. One metric learner from King Williamstown, Azuki Seflacha, says he is looking forward to undergo this passage despite the threat of COVID-19. So for me, it's like going to university, I want to be a man. And for the fact that I knew that in 2020, I usually must, um, we are going to circumcision school when we are 18 years old. You see, So for me, it would be heartbroken to go to circumcision school uh, at the age of 19, knowing that no, um, for instance, my peers, somewhere somehow uh, going to the circumcision school, whereas I'm not going there. So for me, I really, I'm really looking forward to go to circumcision school so that I will be a man and take care of myself. His father, Bongani Lukashi, is in full support of this. That's a strategy. The fact that he's going to university next year, I, I see no reason for him not to go to circumcision school because if I send him being a boy there, he's going to experience some trouble there. There are lots of uh, questions, challenges he's going to face there. An expected 40,000 boys are expected to undergo the rite of passage this coming summer season in the Eastern Cape. I'm Abongile Yankees in the Eastern Cape. It's 7.29 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, U.S. President Donald Trump has launched his closing attack on his rival, former Vice President Joe Biden, in a final push to win re-election. Tanzania's main opposition presidential candidate Tundulusu has been released shortly after his arrest in the main city of Dar es Salaam. And the Nigerian military is carrying out an international investigation into the shooting of unarmed protesters in Lagos by soldiers. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, 
Africa amka na unai Thank you. And it is 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. According to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, most viruses and other germs do not spread easily on flights because of how air circulates and is filtered on airplanes. However, the CDC notes that because air travel requires spending time in security lines and airport terminals, which can bring you in close contact with other people and frequently touch surfaces, the risk of getting COVID-19 may increase. Meanwhile, it is reported that authorities in Ireland may advise against air travel during Christmas following a study suggesting 59 confirmed cases of COVID-19 could be traced back to a flight into the country during the summer months. To reflect more on the safety of flying during a pandemic, we are now joined on the line by Bert Rodriguez, CEO of the Biodex, a biological chemical technologies company in South Africa. But good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. Thank you. Now, although you agree with the CDC's comments on air circulation and filtering, you believe that the danger of getting COVID in a plane still exists. So what still needs to be considered? Uh, Lulu, obviously, the basic principles which we have learned to adhere to, which is social distancing, uh, mask wearing and sanitizing, uh, of course, hand washing whenever you can, becomes pretty difficult when um, you are packed in an airport where you don't know if you are touching a surface that is contaminated or not. Uh, studies show that the virus lasts fairly long on a surface, whether it's plastic, wood or steel. So the contact that a person has physically with other people and with the equipment uh, and various terminal ports you have to go through uh, put you at risk of getting contaminated. Now, you know, just thinking of a, of an airport terminal and the queues and the lines, um, you know, social distancing can sort of work there. But now in an airplane, how does a, a passenger um, minimize the chances of contracting the virus? You know, it is uh, difficult. But of course, in an airplane, the biggest challenge you have is your hands. You cannot really make yourself to the window seat without putting your hands on the seat in front of you or uh, touching the armrests on the seat. Once you're seated in your position, then of course you can limit your contact with the surface. But your biggest danger remains uh, your hands touching the surface, getting infected, and then you touch your face and you infect yourself. So on an aeroplane, it becomes a a fairly big challenge if you're packing like sardines. How do you social distance? How do you not rub uh, the person next to you? So that is something that needs to be taken into consideration if you're going to get on a plane. As soon as you, it's like going to a restaurant. As soon as you take the decision that you're going to go out, you must assume a fair amount of the risk that you do run the risk of getting uh, contracting uh, the virus. So from that perspective, the airplane 
uh, is no different to any other environment where you are closed, except ventilation in an aeroplane is vertical. So you have much bigger safety than being in a restaurant where the ventilation might be cross-ventilation from the front door to the back door. That loans itself to spreading the disease. So that is the biggest challenge you are facing in an aeroplane itself. You know, a new study um, published by the European journal Eurosurveillance uh, demonstrates the potential of the spread of COVID-19 linked to air travel. What should we make of the findings, considering that uh, air travel has largely resumed and the festive season is upon us? Should we be worried? Yes, of course, it is always a worrying factor, Lulu. If uh, the studies that have been conducted uh, around aeroplanes, uh, infection transmission is quite simple. I had a look at the study of the US surveillance, uh, which I believe you're referencing. That study uh, shows that that particular case related to the Irish contamination, it is a complex case because people that boarded that plane uh, formed, were formed from a variety of groups. And those groups, some people had been 24 hours later than an aeroplane, Uh, Some of those people had been in uh, lounges in airports, and those, of course, were uh, by loaning themselves to getting infected. Then additionally to that, when those people that left the aeroplane that were contaminated, um, 70% of those contamination beyond the flight were all to do with two people that went to social events. So again, the getting together in a closed environment poses a risk. So do I think that the risk was directly related to the airplane? Probably not. Um, Again, if you get tested 72 hours before you fly, uh, we know that the disease, you will contract the disease, you will incubate it for approximately eight days, you may not really get symptoms, and then after that period, the virus then starts um, growing. So the spread that came out of that study, and uh, as I say, close to 70% of the infections, although 59% uh, 59 people were infected, it was really two people that spread um, that virus through social gatherings post the flight. So I suppose there is something to be said about if you arrive, still observe um, your lockdown protocol and stay a couple of days, don't go socialising immediately so that you stay on the safe side of things. Now, but let's speak about uh, um, the enforcing of COVID-19 regulations and uh, uh, repercussions of non-compliance uh, in reference to, uh, for instance, an aircraft that uh, had to um, make a U-turn on the terminal to remove a passenger who refused to wear a mask. Just to get to that point of them refusing to wear a mask, firstly, how did they get onto the plane and how must uh, air... Uh, you know, uh, air, uh, flight attendants or the pilot deal with such uh, passengers who refuse to, to to wear a mask in compliance with COVID-19 regulations? The, the compliance, of course, is uh, every person needs to take responsibility for, for each one. Um, governments around the world have all adopted the same strategies. So it is not that 
uh, in South Africa, we have a different strategy to prevent the virus from spreading to the rest of the world. Those laws have been set in place. We've agreed that that's how we should behave. Now, whether a mask works or whether it doesn't work, uh, there's a million opinions and a million questions around it. However, if we have decided to wear the mask, whether you're a person that believes it works or it doesn't work, it is no good antagonizing the rest of the population uh, because of a mask. Do, do yourself a favor and do your fellow citizens a favor and wear the mask. It's, it's not going to um, create any uh, particular damage to you as an individual. And, of course, it is not good for people to uh, take the law on head-to-head like that. So what should the flight attendants do and what should the pilots do? I suppose exactly what they did, make a U-turn and come back. Unfortunately, um, 99% of the passengers are being inconvenienced because of 1%. But what I have to say to people is that do not antagonize anyone. It is not necessary. You may believe in the mask, you may not believe in the mask. However, it is not necessary for you to go around antagonizing the rest of the population. Now, with South Africa currently at level one, um, you know, lockdown uh, restrictions. In terms of that and uh, seeing, um, you know, scenes of uh, some places uh, being, you know, open, whether it's it's in clubs or so on, uh, a few, I think it's a weekend ago or so, where the police minister was all over Johannesburg and shutting down uh, uh, COVID regulations, uh, lawbreakers uh, with uh, people not wearing their masks and you find some of those people going onto airplanes and traveling across the country. Do you think that a country like South Africa is kind of relaxed or the people of a country are at a point of exhaustion and are now starting to kind of relax when it comes to the regulations? You're right in both senses. Uh, people are relaxing, uh, I believe, for a number of reasons. Reason number one is our, we've done fairly well through the lockdown in winter where uh, the infection rate uh, spread fairly wild, but not overly so compared to the rest of the world. Uh, the other reason I believe we, we're entering a phase of relaxation is because we've reached our summer. And in summer, things get a bit more relaxed. This is extremely dangerous. If you take a look at the countries that have succeeded, so the country that's leading the way with zero infections for now, I believe, just over 203 or 205 days, I'm not sure, that's Taiwan. A country doing very well as well is Australia. They have now recorded zero infections for the past couple of days. So if we are to look at what those countries that have managed to get to a level zero have done. It is exactly what we have done in South Africa. However, we cannot relax now in summer because in summer everything gets, um, you know, birds, bees, and we, we all like it. And as you've mentioned, there's some mental fatigue going on for all of us, whether you've been in lockdown or whether you've worked right through as a frontline worker. Those factors that are influencing us to behave in a relaxed fashion are dangerous because we're in summer, and if we look at the countries that are now out of control, like France, uh, France is a big problem. Belgium mm-hmm. is leading the way of infections. What those countries did wrong is they went out and they enjoyed summer. They dropped the guard 
social distancing didn't really play a part. Uh, hand sanitization fell by the wayside. Uh, and that we must guard against in South Africa. So whether you're going to travel for the holiday season or not, we are in summer. Uh, experts in South Africa are saying we're not going to see a second uh, wave until winter arrives again. So we would do very well in South Africa to take advantage of uh, the president's, uh, I suppose, strenuous lockdown. They can mm-hmm. went through the various levels of lockdown. So we've done well. And I'm saying we've done well because I'm comparing it to the rest of the world, especially Europe, where winter has come around, and now the resurgence is back. So um, we cannot relax so that we recover our position quite strong through the summertime, um, and hopefully we arrive in winter uh, with a level zero and we are able to deal with it. Hopefully, Bert, uh, thank you so much for joining us and uh, do keep safe. Pleasure. Thank you. That's Bert Rodriguez, CEO of the Biodex Biological Chemical Technologies Company in South Africa, joining us on the line. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. It's 7.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Amanda Machaka. Thanks, Lulu. Good morning. South Sudan's President Salva Kiir has dismissed the governor of the central bank, Gamal Abdelawani, less than 10 months after he took office. The news of his dismissal was announced by decree on the national broadcaster on Monday evening. No reasons were given for his sacking. Wani was brought in when his predecessor, Dia Tongo, was sacked. Nango has been reinstated as a central bank governor. Former South African Airways Technical Chair Yake Quinana has told the State Capture Commission in Johannesburg that cancelling LSG Sky Chef's contract with SAA in 2015 was the best decision he, she has ever made for the national carrier. 
Quinana will resume giving evidence on Tuesday after a trying day before Justice Raymond Zondo. She told the commission that in 2015, SAA subsidiary Air Chefs was going to retrench people and they therefore took a decision to support Air Chefs and cancel the LSG Sky Chefs contract. However, Air Chefs failed to meet the requirements for the tender. There have been claims that the Air Chefs still benefited some politically connected people. Quinana also claimed the tender process for German firm LSG was irregular. Air Chefs is a 100% owned subsidiary of SAA and Air Chefs was formed to cater for SAA and therefore if there is something wrong with SFs, that needed to be corrected by SAA. So SAA, as the holding company of SFs, was supposed to correct that instead of going out to tender. South Africa's Energy Department says fuel prices will decrease from midnight tonight. Both 93 and 95 octane petrol will decrease by 27 cents per litre, while diesel will decrease by 12 cents per litre. However, the retail price of illuminating paraffin will increase by 20 cents, with the wholesale price to increase by 15 cents. The rent appreciated against the U.S. dollar during the period under review on average when compared to the previous period leading to the petrol and diesel price drops. The Reserve Bank of Malawi, RBM, has rejected Mpata Holdings acquisition of 49% shares in MyBarks Banking Corporation. Mpata Holdings acquired the shares in June and all processes were completed, but the deal was subject to approval by RBM. The Reserve Bank governor, who doubles as Registrar of Financial Institutions, has not approved the acquisition on the grounds that Mpata's assets are in the form of fixed assets which may not be liquidated quickly should there be need in the future to provide additional support to the bank. Mpata Holdings has criticized RPM for its handling of the issue, saying it contradicts the Tons Alliance policies of job creation and local empowerment. And the board of Twitter Incorporated has expressed support for Chief Executive Officer Jack Dorsey and said it has confidence in the social media company's current structure. The board cited Twitter's significantly improving product and financial performance in the third quarter when the revenue grew 14 recent year over a year of $936 million. Earlier this year, Dorsey fought off an attempt by activist investor Elliott Management to oust him from his job by agreeing to growth targets. The board's endorsement of Dorsey also comes as the social network faces intense pressure to combat election-related misinformation around Tuesday's presidential election in the United States. In the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 380.64 Nigerian Naira, 11.28 Botswana Pula, 108 Kenyan Shilling, and 20.59 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar is trading at 574 Brazilian Heal, 79.28 Russian Ruble, 74.55 Indian Rupee, 6.68 Chinese Yuan and 16.19 South African Rand. The dollar is trading at 77 pence to the British pound and 85 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,892 per ounce and platinum at $858 per ounce. And the price of Brent crude oil is at $38.97 a barrel. And that's how it's looking at this hour.
Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we begin with athletics. Two Ugandan athletes, one Kenyan, are among the 10 nominees for the 2020 World Male Athletes of the Year. The women's nominees are expected to be announced by the World Athletic Governing Body, World Athletics. Our correspondent, Kesha Mnyati reports. Although there has been less athletics competitions this year, the crowning of the World Best Performers of the Year will go ahead uninterrupted next month on December 5. World Athletics has since shortlisted 10 nominees for the Men's Coveted Award, which include exceptionally talented Ugandans Joshua Cheptegei and Jacob Kiplimo. Meanwhile, today's nominees for the World Best Female Athlete is likely to include another Kenyan, Perez Jepcheche, the winner of the World Half Marathon in Poland, setting a new world record of 1 hour, 5 minutes, 16 seconds. On to football news. The 2020 Kosafa Women's Championship gets underway today in South Africa's Eastern Cape province. The tournament will see a return of the first women's football tournament on the continent as many tournaments had to be cancelled or postponed due to the global COVID-19 pandemic. The tournament will feature 10 teams who will be vying for top honours. All matches will take place in a bio-bubble across the stadiums. Sue Destombes, Kosafa Secretary-General, speaks on the importance of hosting such a tournament as the world continues its fight against COVID-19. The, the importance is that you don't have a long break, particularly in women's football, which is still on the, on the rise. Uh, I mean, we've made a lot of strides in, in our region, in the Southern African region. But had we not had these tournaments now uh, and left football, women's football, ostensibly to August next year, I think that would have been a regression in terms of the development of women's football. And that's why we were so keen uh, and determined to, to make sure that that we had um, uh, the women's tournaments this year. The also speaks of the challenges they have faced ahead of the tournament. Well, obviously the biggest uh, the biggest factor is completely beyond our control and beyond the control of you know of many of our member associations, and that is the pandemic itself. It's the closing of borders. So in terms of um, you know of organising this competition here in in South Africa and and uh, in Port Elizabeth, we needed to wait. Although it had been on the calendar, it was always on the calendar for September. We then moved it out uh, to to mid mid October, uh, thinking that that would you know give a given give us time for the borders to be open. Then indeed, as you know, the, the borders opened on the on the 1st of October, but the um, the permission for international uh, uh, sporting events was, was still not given and uh, until the 7th of October when the uh, Minister of, um, of Sport um, promulgated the, the, the new regulations. The action gets underway at 12.30 Central African time with Eswatini up against Comoros while host and defending champion South Africa take on Angola at 15.30 Central African time. On to tennis news, Spaniard Rafael Nadal recently won Roland Garros for the 13th time in his career, however without giving up a single set along the way. By demolishing Novak Djokovic in the final, they sealed his 100th victory in Paris, as well as equaling the 20 Grand Slam record of his eternal rivalry uh, between Roger Federer and himself. The former world number one will compete in the Masters 100 in Paris-Bercy as the only preparation event for the ATP finals in London. 
Nadal says he feels ready to play his best tennis and is not worried about past injuries. It's true that here in Bercy I had uh, a lot of times issues. Uh, I had to retire from the tournament a couple of times. But in, in the World Tour Finals I have been there quite uh, a lot of times in semi-finals and final a couple of times. I didn't win. It's a tough tournament to win, playing against the best players in the world in a, under difficult circumstances. I don't know. I'm going to keep trying my best as I did all my tennis career. Um, I hope to give myself a chances. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producers Fiso Masriho and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info channelafrica.co.za WhatsApp on plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven or tweet us at Channel Africa One. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Nibambela by Mtunzi featuring Claudio. Have a great day and keep safe.